0: This is a podcast from meow.net. Meow! Celebrating people, projects, and topics that expand possibility and choice, this is A Culture of Possibility. A monthly podcast hosted by Arlene Golbard and Francoise Matarasso. Hello. My name is François Matarazzo, and I'm a community artist speaking to you today from France, and I'm here with my friend Arlene Goldbard for the second episode of A Culture of Possibility.
1: Hi, this is Arlene Goldbard, and uh, I'm talking to you from Lamy, New Mexico, which is kind of close to Santa Fe, and we're very pleased to be here with um, our friends, two wonderful artists who are now going to tell you their names and where they are.
2: Hi, my name is Amber Hansen. I'm speaking to you from Vermilion, South Dakota. Hi. And I'm Raina Hernandez, and I'm
3: speaking to you from Vermilion, South Dakota in my office.
1: (laughs) Welcome, Amber and Raina. Um. So why don't we start off talking a little bit about the context in which you're working, because, um, you know, Francoise in Europe, we're over here in the States. We're going to have listeners who don't exactly know where South Dakota is and uh, and definitely don't know the communities that you're working in the way that you do. So tell us a little bit about your context. Um, Where are you? Uh, uh, Why are you connected to this place? What should we know? about who lives there? All those questions. Sure.
3: Um, Well, we're in Vermilion, um, which is a small liberal college town. I always call it like a a little unique pocket of South Dakota because the surrounding communities um, are are pretty conservative. So it's kind of a bit jarring when you leave this community and see um, the different attitudes across the state that don't really align with um, the way that people exist in this small community. Um, but the population here is it's, it's a lot of college students um, there obviously are people who live in this town um, who are like a constant here but um, due to the nature of the university being here it's you know the environment is, is changing so much and I think that that really does help maintain um, liberal values because it's kind of a fluid nature of, of accepting change as a part of growth and also as a part of preservation and I think that's something that's really unique about Vermilion is that um, the people here are really invested in preserving our history um, but also expanding upon that um, and reaching out to diverse groups of people and thinking about change and ushering it in in ways that value the arts um, that really just value different ways of thinking about um, how we can progress.
1: Did you grow up in, in Vermilion right now? I grew up like
3: 15 minutes away from here. So I grew up in a tiny little town called Gayville, South Dakota. Um, It's like 500 people. So it's a really small farming community. Um, So Vermilion feels like a big bustling city to me, (laughs) even though it's not at all. We have like one grocery store. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I I grew up in the area.
1: Great. Amber, did you want to add something there? I know you grew up in Iowa, not too far away, but it's kind of in the region.
2: Yeah, I grew up an hour away from here, and, but I have lived here for, I don't know, seven or eight years now. Um, but yeah, I, I think that was a really beautiful description. Um, I would say, too, you know, South Dakota's a really sparsely populated state, and so I think there's a feeling of isolation at times, of, you know, really, Vermilion's uh, a pretty small community. There's like 3,000 people who live here permanently but 10,000 with the university so I see it as like a really small town um, that has to sustain itself because we're about an hour away from you know any sort of city larger than ourselves so I think that's like a really unique characteristic of this place Um, and also it's like a very severe climate so it gets really really cold and really warm in the winter or in the summer so um I think the climate has, has something to do with the culture of people who have decided to live here and stick it out. <laughs> Only the strong survive.
1: <laughs> and you've been doing work a, a little bit in the surrounding region too, right? So for millions and enclave, you're saying, what what happens when you go out and do projects in other communities? Who lives there? What's that like?
2: Yeah, well, like Raina was saying, like the, the community here is is um there's a lot of people who who do come from other places to work at the university there are a lot of people who who are artists who make work here as well and so there's like a a spirit of collaboration that i think is embedded in this community so i think it it makes it the projects we've worked on here have been really welcomed and and really easy to sort of imagine and and to to create and um I guess in my experience, stepping out into other communities, there are a lot of times talking to people who um, who have lived their entire lives, you know, who whose um, families have lived there uh, for many generations. So um, I think that's sort of like a difference in, in terms of uh, stepping out into places outside of Vermilion.
3: Yeah, I feel like I'm from- really spoiled. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Please, Brenda, please go ahead. Oh. Um, I feel like I've been spoiled with Vermilion and um, creating my first, like, round of murals here because, like Amber said, the community is like, really, really supportive. Um, and so I'm like, I'm not used to being met with resistance, <laughs> which feels like a very, like, privileged place to be because, like, most, you know, you guys know, as artists, we're constantly met with resistance and, and challenged. So I think the process of creating something for such a large group of people and then it being very supported was at first very jarring, but now on the opposite end of that, I'm like, oh, wow, people don't like what we're doing sometimes. <laughs> like, so it's, you know, it's, you have to find a balance.
0: Your your um, murals have a strong presence reflecting indigenous culture of South Dakota. To a European, that's that's a very distinctive... Reality. Uh, can you say a little bit about tell us a little bit about the the indigenous peoples of of the area where you live?
3: Sure. Um, well, I'm Ihonkduan Dakota, um, so you know we're we're residing on Ihonktawan land. Um, it's interesting because I feel like I'm learning a lot about cultures outside, indigenous cultures outside of my own. The more we work on this process um, of of creating with communities, um, but I think here there is we are visible in the in certain ways. Um, I think that Indigenous people in South Dakota are are visible in ways that are um, in a lot of ways re- reductive and it's very it's harmful. So I mean I know that there are um, you know other places out there where they're like oh. I get to meet a native? Like, I didn't even know you guys existed still. And so it becomes problematic when, um, you're kind of tethered to these narratives that are like outdated or they're, you know, in the past, because then people think you don't exist anymore. Um, and, and then when you do exist, you're you're reduced down to, you know, a, a, a very palatable form of, of who you are. And so I think, Like I said, Vermilion, I feel really lucky here because we're so supported um, and our perspective is invited here. Um, But if you go West River, there's a lot of problems. Um, So so South Dakota is actually kind of unique because there's there's East River and West River and there's always like, um, you know, like a rivalry between the schools and stuff like that. But also just the shift in landscape um, of like the physical landscape is so different. It seems like a different state when you go West River, but... With that shift in landscape, there's also a shift in, in cultural landscape. I think that East River is a lot more accepting of diversity um, and and more open to ushering in diverse perspective. And West River, it's it, it seems so much more contentious. You know, they have people who are writing like racial slurs and like in an Art Alley in Rapid City and um, so just the, the cultural landscape for Indigenous people across South Dakota is, is a very different experience, I think, just from place to place.
1: And let me just interject here. Is that the Missouri River? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just kind of bisects the state, doesn't it? It's kind of right down the middle. Yeah. And, and so the eastern part is more plains grasslands agricultural land and the farther west you go the more mountainous you go so people may have heard of things like pine ridge like the black hills and and the, that's a very very different landscape in the west mm-hmm.
3: yeah was, i hadn't been there in a really long time and um, amber and i went to go do this like spray paint um like project where this guy was he had like a building that was going to be kind of demolished from the inside like not the whole thing but um, walls would be taken down so he got a grant and he got a bunch of spray paint and he invited us to come and like help like graffiti up this building and have like an art show in there. Um, and it was like temporary thing, which was really cool. But we went there this past summer and I was like, Oh my gosh, you don't remember how different this landscape is. Cause I think last time I went, you know, West river was probably like 14 years old. So, you know, almost half my life ago. Um, so it was, it was really cool to see that. And I, I, I did, it was like really appreciating, the fact that, like, South Dakota, it does have these little interesting moments, even though people forget about us all the time.
0: <laughs> so given the, the the poetic way you've described South Dakota and Iowa, where you grew up, how did you both, oh, how did you come to find your way to being artists? And then how did you come to be community artists,
2: well I, I I've always been attracted to the process of drawing. It feels like magic to me, you know that you can you know use a pencil and piece of paper and, and really create anything that you can imagine. And in high school, I started painting murals um, and i studied I studied in, in in academia for seven years, learning about art and wasn't really introduced to community based art until. Um, I met David Lowenstein in Lawrence, Kansas, and was invited to be a part of a community-based pro- project in Tonqua, Oklahoma. And this was a town of 3,000 people, and was really my first introduction to community-based art. And I'm, I'm not sure if it was because it, it, it just wasn't represented and talked about in academia, or if it's because it's I, it's such a Remarkable process that I maybe I just didn't understand until I could experience it. You know the the process of creating, but um, being introduced to community-based art in Tonkwa really showed me a way that I could I could bring together the culture that I had grown up within um, and the art world and how they could come together and uh, benefit each other. And up until that point, I think they felt very separate. I didn't see um, a lot of rural um, artwork or, or culture being celebrated within the art world. And I didn't see a lot of art within the community where I grew up in. You know, there was one mural in town and that was special. <laughs> so I, I saw that, the, you know, these things were missing in, in each other's worlds and that this process could bring them together in a way that felt authentic and meaningful to the people working, working together to create them. Yeah, I, f- I feel similarly
3: as you um, in being interested in art and drawing from like a really young age and just that always being a part of who I am. Um, but both of my parents are artists. And so I think from a very young age, being exposed to different forms of art making um, was was really valuable for me. Um, I, I could see myself in those spaces doing the things that they were doing. And I always commend my mom because she raised us, um, all of us kids, by herself but uh, you know she was able to provide for us based off of her artwork and being able to see that in such close proximity has been just something that um, I know is really unique and it's really difficult for artists to do and so I'm always in like have a deep admiration for for what she did and what she does Um, but I also think that you know both of my parents being artists um, they really instilled in all of us just a keen awareness to and respect for our individuality and expressing that in the best ways we know how and being honest in it. Um, and so when I started working on uh, public artworks with Amber, which I'm super grateful that she invited me in the process because it has expanded the realm of possibilities with the way that I thought that I could, like, engage the arts community um, before it was always, like, you know, it's like a gallery show or, you know, it's, it, it was always these, like, littler spaces that felt... I don't know, inaccessible. But um, but I think, you know, in the process of creating public artworks, I've been able to navigate staying true to the things that I want to talk about, which would be indigenous um, expression and existence um, and contributions, while also speaking to, like, these universal themes that people share within communities. Um, and that's just been such an interesting, mo- like, so many interesting moments of, of this process is, finding commonality with people that I necessarily didn't really think I had much in common with before. I, didn't, I don't think I really understood community. And so, like, like Amber had said as well, I don't think I understood public artwork. Because um, it really wasn't taught in academia, at least um, in my undergraduate um, studies. We didn't talk about it a lot. And I think that when it was talked about, it was always kind of talked about in these ways that, that again, felt inaccessible. And so um it, it was just nice to be able to be a part of this project and feel invited and feel like I had a seat at the table um and also that Amber had trusted my decisions you know that's it's so every process um or every moment in this process is it's taught me something that has been unexpected
0: It's interesting the the we had plan to explore the question of what you hope to accomplish through your work but maybe it might be better to come back to that later when we've heard a bit more about uh the work itself but just hearing you talk I'm also reminded of I think I would probably have have uh, been able to to give a good line on what I thought I would accomplish by my work when I when I was young and and so on but actually i'm um, I was struck by you saying how much you've got out of it, and how like meeting different kinds of people and the lessons that that you've learned from from that and uh, we sometimes think too much about what we what we think we're we're doing with it when a large part of it is is unexpected and and it's the things that we discover by doing by working with people that is so rewarding for them and for us. And, you know, anyway.
3: Yeah. Amber and I were talking about that yesterday because we were driving to, um, a meeting for a project that we're working on. And Amber's like, there's no, like, there's no roadmap for how to do this. Like every Hmm. process, every project is different. Um, and it really depends on who's, who's coming to the meetings, who's sharing their stories and putting, um, and putting themselves out there. And what I really love about this process is that you see that by being vulnerable with people, that they'll be vulnerable with you back. You're like you're holding a mirror up to them. And I think it's just such a beautiful thing that just by being honest and open with people that you've ne- really never met before, they, they will tell you things that you, you connect to in like these really basic human ways. Um, and I, I just think that's so exciting every time it happens because... It's like, oh, we're doing our jobs right, <laughs> like, you know, we're, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And I think that that's, like, really the heart of, of, of what we're doing and why it makes it so interesting and also so important.
1: I wanted to mention and, and ask, um, because Amber has been reflecting on this okay. process of community murals in a different way, too, as a filmmaker... Um, and I just wanted to give you an opportunity to mention "Call to Walls" and give people the URL and just say a little bit about what that is. Because even though I have a tiny role in it, I think I can still say it's the best film about community devised murals that I've seen so far. So, yeah,
2: yeah, thank you for uh, mentioning that. Um, yeah, "Call to Walls." I mean, we created "Call to Walls" as a way of shining light on the communities we are working with in. Um, which are four different communities in the middle of the U.S., rural communities or smaller urban areas, um, Tonk, Oklahoma, Newton, Kansas, Arkadelphia, Arkansas, and um, Joplin, Missouri. And it was a way of shining light on those communities, but also showing how the process of creating community-based works, com- how, the process of what community-based mural Looks what that process looks like in in rural communities and how that may be different um than urban areas so in a way it's it's uh, it can be used as a a way of sharing what this process could look like in a in a more emotional way you know because there there is a, a, a there are a lot of emotions that and um that accompany this work that i think are are hard to Express in, in other ways, and so in a way, it's a document. But as we're working on projects together, Raina, I I constantly hear lines in the film too, or words that that Arlene, um, who, who's in the film as well. We, we interviewed Arlene because when we were introduced to community-based work, we were introduced to one of your books, and that was that was really um, a culture of um, new creative communities. Uh, A culture of possibility. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Raina has it in her office (laughs) right now. (laughs) It's a great book. I gave it to (laughs) Raina. And it you know, it was like our it was our roadmap in in many ways. So Arlene is speaking in in the film, but those words, um, I think almost very similar to the words that Raina just shared were the words that Arlene is speaking in the film. About these different scenarios that happen, and all of them different and, and nuanced, but that there are some commonalities of um, in terms of process, and in, in and sometimes in terms of challenges. Um, that's helpful to remember when when creating this work, and a reminder that there is this like long history and and people who have who have developed techniques and tools and processes that. Um, that can help facilitate uh, successful projects.
1: And what is the URL, uh, Amber? Where can people find out about the film?
2: Um, it's at uh, calledtowalls.com. Thank you.
1: So, you know, there are two murals that, that you you together created in Vermilion, um, two adjacent murals on, on a corner, and... and um, We love them. We're gonna post uh, images of them on the um, Meow site so that people can see them for themselves. But tell us a little bit about that project. Um, I know that the first mural was completed before the pandemic and the second one in pandemic conditions. So where did that come from? What were you trying to accomplish? How how did it work? And I want you to help me also uh, pronounce the Lakota names of the two murals.
2: Yeah, I can, I can sort of set the stage. Um, so these were the, the two murals that you're talking about or referring to. Um, we began designing those in 2019 and painted them in two different sections really just because we hadn't raised enough funding to, to be able to paint them at the same time. So they were designed with the community in 2019 as our sec- second community-based murals to be created here in Vermilion. And, um, the first ones were, were created in 2016. And with this, um, with this new mural, I, I reached out to Reina uh, because I knew she was an, a, an accomplished artist in the community. And I felt that the project would be too large for, um, for students to lead as well. Um, because it is, it's really, it's, it's a very involved process. And at the time, you know, Raina and I knew each other, but since then have become really close friends and collaborators. And Raina, you know being this being your first mural, you just like stepped into it so courageously. and you you know, when you said you're on board, I just knew right away that it was going to be such a beautiful pro- project and process. Mm-hmm. And it's been really, so lovely working with you. Um, and so it was Raina as was the lead artist, and she was assisted by Elizabeth Skye and Inkba Mani, who who were students at the university at the time.
3: Um, Yeah, I mean, just to kind of go back to what you're saying, uh, when you invited me to to be a part of the process, I was really, really uncertain of my abilities to take any sort of leadership role in anything, because I never had, and I was totally comfortable with that. I was like, you know what, not everyone's a leader. Like, we don't all have to be leaders. (laughs) Like, can't some of us just be a part of something? (laughs) Like, So, you know, I was really not sure of myself at that time and stepping into it was scary in a lot of ways but you helped guide that process in a way that was so helpful and um, also very respective of of my process and I think that that's very commendable I think a lot of times artists um, in collaborating there there are points of contention of like control and like perceived power dynamics and um, I've never gotten that with you and we just work so well together um, so I, I wanted to just thank you for helping me uh, through that initial process and helping me see that, like, I was able to do these things. Um, but I think, oh, and also for the titles. Um, so the first one is Ayun Kachetupi, which means to be restored or to come back to life, um, and then the second half is Wanaksha, which is uh, to, to bloom or flowers that blossom. Um, and I think. My intention from the very beginning was that I wanted to remain honest to my expression. And my expression up until that point had been about um, speaking to an, to a female indigenous experience, which is my own experience. Um, and I think a lot of the uncertainty that I felt in taking a leadership role um, in working with a predominantly white community really stemmed from trying to figure out how am I going to find a balance here? How am I going to, to remain true to, to this message that I think is really important and really needs to be in this space while, while it's seeming like I'm not hijacking the process? You know, like I wanted to, you know, pay respect to the time and energy and stories that people had shared with us at the meetings. Um, and so working with Liz and Inkpa, I think, was really helpful um, just by, you know, the power in numbers. There's three Indigenous people working on this mural together now. So that's three people who can defend what we were doing, why we were doing it, um, and, and also see that we really were taking the community's input um, and making these connections so that really everyone had a space. Um, and so, you know, the more that we were doing that, we were taking these, these overarching themes like, you know, restoration, like the duality of water... Um, feelings of like uncertainty, grief, and worry, um, but also like the importance of women in our lives. Um, you know, these themes really started to emerge and they are so universal. They're things that people cared about. Um, at the time there was flooding that was happening in the Midwest and people around here were pretty devastated by it. Like they're, they were, you know, losing plots of land, the roads were crazy. And so there's just a lot of destruction that came along with that. And at the meetings, we would talk about how water is, is an interesting thing because there's this duality to it, you know. Um, it's a source of, of uh, it's how we live, how we survive. So it's nurturing, but it also can devastate us. Um, and I thought that that was a really profound thing that the community members had brought to the table because I hadn't really thought about it in, that, in those terms. You know, we were just kind of like having these conversations. But the more we started to think about how do you bounce back from stuff like that, um, fr- from devastation, we started to think about indigenous people and the resilience of native populations that were still here, we're, we still exist, we're contributing to contemporary conversations, making contemporary work, um, and we're doing it beautifully, despite a really ugly, devastating past. And so I think in bridging that gap, it opened up a different way for people to see how we like navigate the world and how we identify and that was just such a beautiful moment because we were, um, I tell the story a lot. Um, but when we were in the design process, um, Inkwell, Liz, and I were, you know, putting pieces of, of imagery together based on the meetings and it started to tell the Sioux creation story, which was just really, um, it was just such a cool experience because we didn't mean to do that. Um, but we started to see like, these are universal things and they have been universal throughout time. Um, and making those connections felt really powerful. And so I think at that point, I was like, I know what we're doing is right. We're telling the story we need to be telling and we're doing what we need to do. And I loved that. Um, but you know, little did we know the next summer there was gonna be COVID-19 and that was going to be really um, impactful in so many ways, but I think it really reinforced our message of, of resilience and coming together because everyone was impacted in this way that we felt we had no control over. And really that's what our whole intention was with the mural too, is to talk about this lack of control within indigenous communities and and trying to regain control of a narrative that feels like it's been taken from us and and trying to to, um, come to terms with that. So it it was just a really cool, you know, it was just a really eye-opening process.
1: So... You had community members painting on the first mural, right? And then on the second one it was um pandemic conditions. So what what was that like?
2: Yeah, so on the first one, I mean, like like we I guess the the process I'm accustomed to is that the first day of painting is really open to anybody in the community, whether they are on the design process or not. Anybody can come out and paint. And so we did that and it was it was so much fun in in 2019 and then when the, yeah, after the pandemic, um, hit in, in Vermilion, South Dakota, in South Dakota, um, you know, the, the state has really stayed open, you know, the entire time. So I think our experience is probably a little bit different than, um, you know, others throughout the world in, in that way. And so I, I, we were both like really hesitant about moving forward with the project at all, but we decided that instead of inviting the community to help us paint, we would identify a core group of painters who would come together and, and make the mural. So um, it was Raina and I, Janae, Porter, Sonia, Pierre Morales, and, um, and Liz and Inkba who really came together to paint the mural. Um, and and because of the pandemic, we were also, we were wearing masks um, as we were painting outside. And again, this was during a time when there was, uh there's a lot of sort of, I, I think there still is controversy about mask wearing in South Dakota. And that was something that we felt was really important um, as f- for our own precautions, but also Understanding that our project was, is, is very visible and that we were outside um, painting, I remember uh, that feeling really important that um, we, that we were sharing that that was something that was important to us. Um, and so we also slowed down the, the painting process uh, because we recognized that it was a, a space where people could pass, you know it, during their daily walks. Um, or that they were able to just talk with us as we were painting, you know out in, in an outdoor space in a safe way, and they maybe weren't seeing other people, you know that people were feeling really isolated and probably weren't seeing a lot of people. So it felt it felt like something that we could uh, provide for the community as like a as a hopeful message. Um, and then even just sharing photos on on Facebook, I remember. Um, being overwhelmed by how many people were, were watching our progress, and, or that would tell me that they're like, we, I, I, I wait for the posts every day. So I could see that this was something that was really positive and hopeful during a time that felt really scary and um, you know, feel, still feels that way.
1: So, w- one more question, just for our, especially for our listeners in Europe, because community arts is financed so differently in the States. Than it is across the big water. How was this project paid for? This is a big, ambitious project.
2: Yeah, um, it was. It, we started with a five thousand dollar grant um, through the Bush Foundation and the Change Network. So that was this the seed money, and then we spent uh, all winter writing grants. Rain and I and. Um, uh, a professor from the university and his grant writing class. Um, and we spent all of winter and we, I don't think we, 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 got any of them. I think, no, we got, we, we, received one from the Vermilion Rotary. Um, and then we decided to launch a fundraising campaign through IOB and they had a matching fund, uh, a matching funds program that they would match whatever funds were raised. So, um, we raised $13,000 within the community, um, for the second portion, uh, but yeah, there's very little. Um, the arts funding available in South Dakota is is really too small for long-term community involved projects. So um, all of these, all the projects I've worked on have have been supplemented by local fundraising, and um, and I think that that's a a conversation um, that I would like to have about at Some point about how, how to restructure arts funding um, or make it more or advocate for it so that we can uh, make these projects more accessible to other communities.
0: Thanks, Sampa. I'd like to talk a little bit about the, the painting itself, and before I do, I'll, I'll just give our listeners a sense of, of the images uh, as. Aline said, "We'll we'll put some of the photos you've shaved, shared with us, so that they can see." But just for now, um, the it's a corner building, two stories high, so big blank walls, and the the painting wraps around there. And on on one wall, the first one I think you did, there is a a, a large figure of a woman with two uh, small babies. Uh, in her lap Um, and uh, below her there are two young adult women uh, holding uh, maybe a a cloth between them with the the name of the mural on it and then on the other side there's a another large uh, figure but this time in profile uh, with braids that that sweep away and uh, also follow the line of a river that that turns into a, a really beautiful almost hokusai uh, type wave on the round the corner again and there's all this flowing movement of of stars that become animals and maybe butterflies and, and creatures and a lot of really rich uh, symbolism from uh, Lakota culture as I've as insofar as I understand it but the and then the to give a sense of I mean the the predominant colors are maybe blue from the the water and the the rising sun incredibly vibrant colors of of yellow and red it it almost feels like you're the as if it was stained glass that the the color is shining through the the wall it's an incredible achievement so first of all congratulations on on such a, a stunning piece of work but I wanted to to ask you about the design and how that that uh, evolved I mean I uh, the beginning of my career I originally trained with Greenwich Mural Workshop um, in 1981 and uh, I, I did a number of murals for till about 1985 when I did the the biggest uh that that i was ever involved in but uh, the reason i moved into other other kinds of of artistic work with communities was partly because of the frankly very limited nature of my artistic skills but uh, that was that was less of a problem because i could always work with other artists who were much more able than me um the the bigger difficulty was that I never found a way of making the design process something that that could really be shared with people and particularly when I look at a, a really beautiful sophisticated uh piece of design like this I'd really like to know how you involve people in that so that it's you know the the painting bit is one heart one part but but it's the it's actually the conception and the and the imagination that goes into it. And how does that become something that you can open out to a community?
3: Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, that you mentioned the waves that look like hokusai, um, it's, it's, we intended that because I think a lot of times you have to understand that um, people aren't really used to looking at, at artwork, um, unless if it's like something that's iconic or like something from pop culture. And so in most things that I do, I almost always reference something that's um, either iconic or, or Beyonce, <laughs> who's iconic and also just amazing in every way. But, um, but uh, so I think it makes it easier to invite people to this space with us when they see something they recognize. Um, I, I think, like I said earlier, one of the problems was that maybe people wouldn't recognize themselves in these brown bodies. Um, and so how do, how do you... How do you resolve that? And I think our solution really was by choosing imagery that people could connect to regardless of the fact that these were just brown indigenous women like, you know, taking up this space and having agency. Um, and so once you get them in, once you get them to see themselves in this space in, in a way that's like um, I don't know, I don't want to say it's manipulative but like, always like you gotta trap them and then they start thinking about all the stuff going on inside. But um but I really think that that was something that we learned lot along the way. It was like, you know, we have, to, we have to figure out how we can make a connection with people who don't really understand a lot about our culture or our perspective, um, you know, if we want to make a mural that's talking about these things that we find important. Um, but there is that image at the bottom of the, the two women, um, you know, tugging on a rope. And that is from a Beyonce music video from her visual album, Lemonade, which is a masterpiece. And I, I think for me, that was a really pivotal moment in my life when I saw that just because, um, you know, she really is talking about triumph over adversity, um, being, you know, a black woman in this, on this platform that's really reserved for white women and mostly white men, um, and how she's had to navigate that. Um, but also talking about her personal experience within her marriage, um, and and just connecting all these things that, you know, I'm, I'm, an indigenous woman, but I really felt connected to her throughout that whole album. And um, it's like I said, it's a masterpiece. And then come to find out it's collaborative. She worked with all kinds of artists on it. Um, artists you wouldn't expect someone like Beyonce to work with, you know, like um, she was worked with like Jack White, um, you know, some other, and some obscure artists. But um, so I think it's really interesting to, to consider that she was also, she recognized that she needed to work with a community to create that powerful of an album. Um, and so when I saw that image, I'd, wanted, I'd been wanting to use that image in my own work. I just couldn't find a place for it. Um, but when Inkpa, Liz, and I met, I was like, I think we should use this, like, somewhere in it. And Inkpa just drew it up real quick because he's just, like, really good at, like, um, illustrating. And I was like, that was amazing. And it looked so good. And, I mean, th- that image basically stayed the way that it was from the moment he drew it until, you know, we painted it up on the wall. Which, I mean, you guys understand the process of creating community work. Like, images... Change a lot, so I think that was kind of interesting. That that was like the one constant in um, in the imagery that we created.
2: Yeah, I'll uh, I'll say Francois when you were talking earlier too about um, uh, maybe not understanding color. This was before we we hopped on the call, but I that resonated with me, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and that's how I approach. I mean, behind me there's like a black and white drawing. That's that's why I, um, what, when I would, when we would get to the, like adding color to the murals always for me, it was, it was like, all right, and this is just like a next step and we'll move on. And so I learned so much from Raina in this process because you, you just slowed the process down. And that's something that I've noticed, you know, when we're working together, um, really like slowing, like taking more time and making sure it's, it's singing in the way that you know, it really can. And so I, I, I learned from working with you about like, the potential of like, what can happen when, when all these colors do come together and are um, really like, amplifying the message and in, in, in supporting it in a way that I think um, is really amplifying the, the, the voices and the, the stories of the people you know, who have come together to, to share them. So, um, it, yeah, the, the, it's such a beautiful process. <laughs> a slow roast. I'm always, I <laughs> was like,
3: we'll have it done in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> like the, I, don't work, I can't work that fast. I'm, so, I'm also just like a, a slow painter. Like, I, I, it, it's, it's not good. I'm like, I'm so sorry, <laughs> everyone, on this project. You're going to be here way longer than you thought you would be.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, uh, this work takes the time that it takes and i've always I've always thought of it more in the metaphor of a journey than a destination um and the quality of the journey how much we've we've enjoyed what we've discovered on that journey it makes the destination that much more special when we get to it i It's interesting there's a i don't really I'm not sure what I want to say about this, but you mentioned some maybe anxiety about how people would respond to an image of a woman of color or several women of color in the and but i and i my my response is 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 entirely individual as as they always are. it seems to me very difficult to imagine how how anybody could could see that that painting and feel excluded from it because it's so joyous the color the 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 design the 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 composition it's it, it of course it's possible to make statement type murals which which are very strong and can make some people feel well. That's not about me, but in, but I think you managed to make something that is genuinely welcoming, even to somebody from such a different uh, demographic and place and culture as as I am. I I don't feel anything but but celebrated because, in a sense, you are celebrating um, you are celebrating indigenous women and culture, but you are celebrating humanity at the same time. And that's where we're all included.
3: Yeah, I think that's why. Um, I'm, that's why I'm always uh, why I, I was surprised in being met with a little resistance in creating in, indigenous imagery in, in a project, because um, th- that's happened now. Uh, and so, um, for me, I've always been of the mindset that including indigenous people and giving the, giving us the space that that feels like it's all our own. Um, that's that is part of a collective history and is part of a collective story um, that doesn't really get a lot of space and it doesn't get a lot of time and attention. And it really serves to benefit everyone. And I think people don't see that often. They, they see like, oh, this is gonna benefit the Native community if it's Native imagery. It's like, yes, it will benefit us, but it's also gonna benefit you because that's a learning experience. You're gaining perspective. You're learning something that you didn't know before um, about your history, about your past. Um so it it is it's it's a little mind-boggling to me too sometimes when when you you hear people who who feel excluded from that because it's difficult to to show them otherwise um and so, until you get it painted up and then you know ho- hopefully they like it so much that they do feel <laughs> like they're a part of it because they really are and that's always been um what I've thought about the process of of creating these highly visible works that only have brown bodies. Because, um, like I said, it's, it's important for all of us to see those those things. It's important for, for everyone to, to gain that perspective.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Reina. Um, there, there's a wonderful passage in Call to Walls where some people in a community that's receiving a mural say that the essential figure is too dark in complexion and how that's negotiated so people um, people who are listening from abroad may not understand how fraught this can be in the United States i'm I'm so grateful to you for for describing that to us and I want to ask you guys one last question before um, before we end you know this podcast is called a culture of possibility with the idea that um, that Uh, we want to counter the pervasive voices that are telling us to be smaller than we really are, to have less power than we really do, and that one of the things that community arts work does is engage people in envisioning themselves in the futures that they actually want to inhabit. So, you know, we wanted to, like, stipulate... Here we are in unbelievable conditions, right? The quadruple pandemic of the virus, of of racialized violence in America, of the economic meltdown, and of course, climate crisis and the big container for all of this. It, it, this is a, a very, very challenging period in our history. So from that perspective of this moment, um, if you could rub the lamp and do the work that you think is most needed right now and that you really, really want to do, um, where does your imagination of possibility take you? Like, what do you think communities need to see and, and engage in? What would you love to do if somebody gave you a blank check?
2: Well, I would love to do more of this work across the state and across the region and to really um, not only to in, welcome people into a creative space to imagine their world and reimagine, you know, what's possible, but also to fill the landscape with imagery that will allow more people to feel a sense of belonging and to allow themselves to be seen within this landscape. I think that's what I would... And, and, to, and to really, like, share... share what I've learned and to learn from the artists and communities that I work with to um, t- to accomplish that
3: yeah I, I, I echo that um, I think in my in a broader sense I, I would I would like to see more marginalized people taking leadership roles because I know what it feels like to feel like that's not for me and that's never been for me and I think that that's um, it's problematic but and but there's so much that can come from trusting people to do this kind of work um, and, to, and, to, do, and to, to do right by it. But, um, but I think my, my ultimate dream is to work with indigenous communities and um, really focus on the fact that like, art is something that is within us, within us as a people. Like, it's something that I think we have a very unique connection to. Um, that I, I'm not sure other people really necessarily understand, but I see it, you know, when I work in camps with Indigenous youth, I see how that's innate within, within us. Um, and so really just, like, reviving that and um, placing emphasis on the fact that our stories are important, we should share them, um, but also uh, engaging the arts as a way to do that um, would be my ultimate dream, to be able to teach that. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I should say again for our for our listeners from abroad that um, Amber and Raina both have day jobs, so they're doing this community work in the summer, in, in periods of time when when they can get away. Um, why don't you tell people what those are just briefly, and then we'll see if Francois has something to say before we close. Amber, yeah, yeah, no, that's great to mention. Um, uh,
2: in, during the summer when we were painting I mean Raina was working at the university from 9 to 5 so we were painting from 6 till the sun you know till it became too dark for us to paint so um, that has been you know I we are <laughs> we, we, I re- remind ourselves of that it's like we are working two jobs in, in really being able to do this work um, and I yeah I teach at the university so I have summers off which are wonderful um, and that's when you know uh, we're able to do a lot of the painting but during the winter it's too cold to paint here anyway so that's a great time to have meetings and to um plan plan the, de- the design indoors
1: and how about you reina um yeah i'm the
3: secretary for the english department at usd so i also work for the university um but i don't get summers off which it would be really nice if i did <laughs> um but it's you'd think that it would feel like it was running on fumes but honestly like the wall like energizes us like it's so it's kind of crazy you would think that we would you know we would just look all haggard and tired but I mean we were like buff <laughs> like <laughs> we looked so good over the summer like we were just like healthy just doing the, like doing what we needed to do and um to me that was like very it was it was an indication that that we really enjoy the work not that it's not hard work but um you know it, it's it's hard work but it's super enjoyable super rewarding um, it would be nice if it could be a full-time job, <laughs> but
1: you can't always get what you want. <laughs> but maybe someday. Hopefully. Um, yeah, Francois, shall we bring things to a close here?
0: Yeah, I'd just like to, to say it's been such a pleasure to meet you and to hear you talk about your work and, and for me to discover your work, which is just beautiful. I, and thank you for the time. I think I've been sitting here thinking... You are continuing the oldest visual art tradition humanity has, you know, because we've been painting on walls since we've been people. And I think you continue it with such beauty and honour. It's lovely to think that it's just going to continue. So thank you for that.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Nice. Thank, thank, you. thank you for having us yeah, well thank you so much Amber and Raina, for being with us this has just been for me a great conversation and I know people are really going to enjoy it and our, our listeners will be able to look forward to um, being able to listen to this starting the third Friday in this month so that's pretty soon and next month we'll have another one another podcast to bring you so with that goodbye everybody
3: Thank you. Thanks. So Goodbye. nice
2: to meet you, Bye. Francois. Nice to see you, Arlene. Thank you, this is wonderful.
0: Now that you've heard the podcast, you can go to the website to find out more details, including references and links. The websites at meow.net. That's M-I-A-A-W dot net. See you there.